take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 131. Psalms 131, turn there with me. Thank you, God, for your presence and your word. Psalms 131. Only three verses, but they are powerful, and I think they hold the power to influence us and even change our hearts today. Psalm 131, I'll begin at verse 1. It says, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself. Like a winged child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a winged child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. Now and always. To the assembly I say, put your hope in the Lord. Now. And always, Holy Spirit, take these words and make the difference. As your word goes forth, create an experience in which we see ourselves. May we also see the promise of God to us. This is a word written many years ago, but it is relevant to me, to us. More relevant, more on time, more pointed than today's newspaper. I pray it would be difficult for anyone to disengage and disconnect from what you really want to communicate. Make the next few minutes more than they could ever be through human communication. By the power of your communication, plant hope in our hearts. And make a change. I pray this in your name. I pray this by your presence and by your power in Jesus' name. And everyone said. In 2007, Kelly was invited to speak at a women's conference in Nairobi, Kenya. Women from across Kenya would travel. And some of that travel is very, very Difficult. They live in remote places, but thousands of women come into Nairobi for this conference, and she was on deck to speak and bring God's word. There was a bus that was bringing a group of ladies. There were a couple of pastors and one district superintendent on that bus. And as the bus was traveling into Nairobi, ended up in a crash, and 12 of those people died. When I received that word, I struggled. I struggled to mesh the facts of my life and the facts of my faith. See, last Sunday I said to you that life hurts, but God heals. Someone came up to me after the service and said, pray that I can make that connection. I joined right then in prayer with that person and immediately I said these words. They were unplanned, but they have stayed with me all week. I said, Lord, help my friend to undergo what they could never understand. Today's message is about helping us to undergo what we could never understand. 
It's what to do when the facts of your life and the facts of your faith seem very disconnected. I believe that God's hand is on history and I believe that his eye is over history. I believe that God is sovereign. I also believe he's loving and there's not a sparrow that falls in this incredible world in which we live in this this planet called earth. Not a bird will fall without his awareness. That's detailed. That's specific. That's personal. I believe that God is loving and I believe that he is sovereign. I believe that his eye is on history and his hand is on history and yet he's loving and when I see those people in that bus on their way to this conference, knowing that God loves the people of Kenya, these people know the culture, they speak the language and they could have a tremendous influence on thousands of people to come to know Christ and I see them end up in a crash and 12 of them step into eternity. I struggled. I, I, I might could more readily accept it if they died as martyrs. But it was just a car crash. And I was struggling undergoing what I could not understand. All week long, the Holy Spirit has been building this word in me and said, you got to help people undergo what they can't understand. Years ago, this, this mom said to her little boy, you take this bucket, you go down to the creek and you get us some water. We need some water to drink. He goes down to the creek. He comes back in just a few minutes. He doesn't have the bucket. He certainly doesn't have any water. But on his face, you can see that there is fear. His mom says, where's the water? He said, there are alligators in that water. She said, you go back down to the creek and you get the bucket and get some water like I told you because that alligator is as scared of you as you are of it. And he said, well, mom, if that alligator is as scared of me as I am of it, that water ain't fit to drink. I am preaching today to people who feel like they have some alligators in their water. See, that little boy on his way back to the creek was going, okay, I have the facts of life and I have the facts of mom's theology and and I am not making the connection. Life hurts, but God heals. Lord, help me to make the connection. David is now our focus, and he is out on a hillside. You know his story. This is the young man who was out keeping sheep. Samuel came because they needed to anoint a new king for Israel. There was a king. He just had lost his heart for God and to obey God, and so God was done with him and was going to raise up a new king. Samuel goes to Jesse's house looks over every son and has no leading to anoint any of them until Samuel says, do you have any other sons? And he says, well, there is one out keeping the sheep. They call David in and Samuel is led of God and he anoints David as the next king. 
You know the story of David. This is the guy who steps up against the giant. He is a military genius. We see that, a political savvy man. He was a writer. He was a poet. He was an incredible, incredible leader. As he is gaining some victory, King Saul becomes very jealous. David had won many military campaigns. Saul's son, Jonathan, was David's best friend. And now Saul is so jealous of David that he tries to murder him. Now, please hear that. We've heard it before. If you've been around Bible world for any length of time, you, you know this. So don't let it pass quickly. Imagine that someone's hunting you and trying to kill you. That's why David's here on the hillside. He's hiding. Because this man is trying to kill him. David has doesn't have friends anymore because if you were a friend of David, Saul would hunt you down and kill you. So David is isolated. He's out on a hillside. He's drinking the brackish water from a hillside stream. and He is the king. Yet the facts of his life and the facts of the promise over his life were very disconnected in his mind. No doubt he asked why. We have all the Psalms where David on that hillside is going, God, I don't understand. Mm, I don't understand. And I think David is going to give us a workable lead of what to do and how to undergo that which we could never understand. Oh, I I want to preach today as a word of hope to you of what to do when the facts of your life and the facts of your theology seem very disconnected. Have you been there before? Where your mind raced with questions of which you had no answer? Here you had coming into your mind on one side the promise of God and on the other side the experience of your life and the two were very different, seemingly poles apart. And what you do at that moment is critical. What you do and how you respond will be such a determination of what happens in your future. Here's what I believe. It's at that critical moment where we have a certain vulnerability and if allowed, Satan will turn us down bitter street and create what I call a hurt legacy. Instead of a legacy of trusting God in the dark, following God when we don't understand, holding to God in the midst of the storm, just saying, I am going to hold on to God, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And seeing the salvation of the Lord and the outcomes of God, we turn down bitter street and we leave a hurt legacy rather than a destiny of faith legacy. David gives us a workable lead. May we tremble at the word. May we take this word in today. I cannot get you through the gap of life's facts and the facts of theology. I can't make the connection between life hurts and God heals, but God can And what he wrote through the heart of David all of those years ago comes from a man inspired of God and also writing out of personal experience. 
My experience, as I've shared in part with you about my brother's death, what I can tell you is trying to go to sleep at night with my mind racing so fast with so many questions that were trying to rear up and threaten my concept of God. A.W. Tozer says that your concept of God is the most important thing about you. And if Satan can warp your concept of God, he'll send you down bitter street and you'll end up with a hurt legacy. See, the work of the enemy when we're in times of pain is always to make a deposit in the hurt pocket of our hearts and to send us on a path of utter self-destruction. Yet it is in the provision of God. It is in the character of God. It is in the nature of God, the presence and the promise of God to help you, bless you, strengthen you, to heal you and send you down better street where you end up becoming what you never otherwise could become. I do not come today to appeal to your intellect. I come reaching for your heart. I asked God a a long time ago, God, I don't want to just preach. I want you to help me reach. I'm reaching to you today with a word from the Lord of how to navigate and undergo what you could never understand. So in verse 1, David says, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I will not concern myself with things that are too great, too awesome for me to grasp. Herein lies the first help. David is saying in all of those words, I will not let my questions drive me away from God. When he talks about his heart, he's speaking of meditation. When he talks about his eyes, he's speaking of perspective. And he's saying, in humility, I am going to keep my meditation and my perspective on God. On the hillside, he has enough questions to drive him away from God. He makes a choice. That he's not going to process those things, those questions that cannot be answered. When I opened up this text and I I tried to swim deep in this stream of what did David mean just in that first verse. I end up seeing the picture of how the enemy would like for us to move God off of the judge's bench. Move God over to the witness stand. We take the place of judge and we question God. We cross-examine God until we get an answer that satisfies. And the creature questions the creator. He's the potter, we are the clay. And how, how prideful is it for the clay pot to then turn and question the potter? Understand that having a question isn't the issue, it's the attitude of the question. It's taking the judge's bench and forming our questions like daggers. 
All of us will have the question that arises out of the wounded heart. God understands that. It's, it's all through the word. But if our heart becomes proud and our eyes become haughty, we will move into a place of bitterness and judgmentalism and we'll form our questions like daggers right at God. It's born out of that where we're trying to concern ourselves with things that are just too great, too awesome for us to grasp. This gives context to Martin Luther's statement. The advance of our faith means to crucify the question why. When I know I'm up against that which has no answer, I release the need to ask. Instead of allowing my meditation to rest with all of the implications and to play out the scenarios of why God, why now, why this, why me, knowing I can't get an answer for that. It's too big. It's too awesome for me to grasp. I yet play it out. And it drags my spirit down and I move into that oppressive spirit. Never know what God would have me to know. An appropriate prayer would be that famous prayer, Oh God, would you give me the courage to change what needs to be changed? Would you give me the peace to accept what I cannot change? And would you grant me the wisdom to know the difference? In verse 2, he gives us yet another part of the lead to work through this process of undergoing what we could never understand. He says, like a weaned child, I have quietened myself in the presence of God. You see, the child that is still nursing wants the mother for what he can get from the mother. The weaned child simply wants the mother. Understand that difference? When we can just want God for God. David has learned that the way you undergo what you could never understand is to take your focus off of outcomes and place your focus on him. We have prayerfully selected the songs we sung today. One is on the healing virtue of God. It's called the healer. And it says, I believe you're my portion. That could be the most important thing we hear today. We live at times saying you are my provision. Now that is not incorrect. But in, in a way it puts all of our eyes on the outcome. And when we don't like the outcome, we sit in judgment on the creator rather than just saying you are my portion and I have to yield and will yield outcomes to you here's what's been born out of my heart in the racing mind and the questions of why God and why this 
When you cannot get an answer to the question why, when you can't find an answer, you can always find God. That's what David is saying. I'm not coming to you, God, for what I can get from you. I am simply coming to you for you. When my oldest son, Ryan, was just a little boy, he... He collided with the coffee table and had to get stitches right above his eye. And so I took him to the emergency room. And you know the drill. They, uh, drill would not be an appropriate word there. Uh, you, you know how they do that. And so they come in, yes, it's going to require stitches. And I know what's coming next. They're going to take a shot. And in order to deaden the area of the cut where they can put in the stitches, they are going to take a needle and put it right in the wound. Inject, whew. And as I saw them coming in to do that, Ryan's just a little boy. Had I had a big medical, you know, the family medical book that we used to have on the coffee table, and when you read it, you go, my God, I have everything on every page. I have that, I have that. Woo, I know I have that. Woo, I'm getting that. Had I been able to open up the medical book and say, now, Ryan, let me explain to you. Let me give you an answer of why they are about to stick a needle right into the wound. Do you think he would have cared? Would it have taken away the pain? Think about that. Think that through. An explanation would not have changed Ryan's experience. What he needed in that moment was a father to say, hey, this hurts, but I'm going to hold you until it quits hurting. Ryan, I don't understand the facts of medicine, so I couldn't explain it to you, but if I could, it wouldn't take away the pain, but I can wrap my arms around you. And you will know that I am here, and I am here with you, and I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving this room. I'm going to be with you through this situation. I found through my own personal experience that God is better than an answer. An answer doesn't change the past. An answer doesn't change the experience. But the faithfulness of God, the love of God, the everlasting arms of God wrapping around my hurting soul make all the difference. I believe it to the core of my soul. David is saying, Lord, you're my portion. You see, when the Lord is my portion, I can take refuge in his sovereignty, believe deeply in his love, exalt his justice, and undergo what I could never understand. So Kelly stood before a group of people there, heartbroken over the situation that had happened. And it's interesting when you look at the sovereignty of God that the Lord would have someone speaking whose mother had been killed in a car wreck. And it's interesting that the Lord had placed before those ladies a wounded healer. 
through the death of Kelly's mom, which many of you know the story, they were on vacation, hit by a drunk driver. Her mom was thrown from the car and instantly killed when Kelly was just 13. We all know that Satan was not planning on her her being in church this morning. With faith, trust in God, he was planning on her turning down Bitter Street and, and just passing on a hurt legacy to all of those who would know her. Because she just found... God as her portion, not an answer, but God. And because he was enough, because she worked through this process and didn't need to know why. Then she heads down Better Street, and who else better to be there in Nairobi on just that moment to pray with, and to just be there as these people were grieving the loss of friends, loved ones, co-laborers. David says, my heart, it's not proud. My eyes are not haughty, and I'm not going to concern myself with those things that are too great, too awesome for me to grasp. I am like a winged child. I have, I have quieted my soul because, Lord, you are who I need, and you're all I need, and, and I'm with you. And so he ends with this. He says, oh, Israel, put your hope in God now and forevermore. That's an oracle of God, and I stand before you and say to you, the assembly, put your hope in God. It's interesting. Notice the writing. He didn't say put your hope in God's willingness or power to heal you, to change the situation. He says put your hope in God. A prevailing thread running through this service is we so often attach our hearts to outcomes rather than God. And when we don't agree with the outcome, we then struggle with God. This psalm helps me to trust his sovereignty, to believe deeply in his love, see it as handlebars on a bicycle. If, if, if I'm holding these bars and I only believe in the sovereignty of God, he's only going to do what he wants to do, and I have, then I'm, I'm out of balance. My life just is at the will of, of a terrible perspective. But if all I do is hold to the fact that God is loving and I make no provision for suffering because a loving God wouldn't allow someone to suffer, then I'm out of balance and I'm going to be defeated. But if I will trust in the sovereignty of God, believe deeply in the love of God, then I will trust when I don't understand. And yet at the same time, I'm going to pray with all of my heart. For God to give breakthrough. If you're sick today, I believe in the power of God to heal you. But however it unfolds in your life, I'm telling you, God never fails. He has never let someone down. He has never messed up on his promise. He will never. He is God. And I trust him. I trust him. I trust him. I don't understand about my brother. I don't understand why Kelly would let that, why God would let that happen to Kelly's mother. Why he would let that happen to people on that bus. 
I can't explain to you why the loved one you prayed for who had cancer was not healed and remained here. And yet here is Dustin Bartholo who had leukemia and was given a diagnosis of death. And yet here he is cancer free. I can't explain that. But here's the deal. Here's what I can tell you. We put our eyes on outcomes. And that's where we mess up. I don't mean to be depressing today, but Dustin has overcome the cancer. But someday, if the rapture doesn't happen, his life will end. So will mine. So if I'm all fixed to outcomes, I can't be excited today that you're healed because something else is coming. (laughs) Hate to just be the bearer of good news here, but the clock is ticking. And you know, my mamma had colon cancer and God healed her. She went through surgery, but I'm telling you, it was a miraculous work of God through that doctor. She didn't have to go through treatment. She was in her 60s when they diagnosed it and did the surgery. She died at age 95. She, she lived a healthy life from then until she died. But hey, she died. She's no longer here. She's in heaven. And that's not a loss. That's not a defeat. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. Hear me, in this American culture, we have, we have made comfort a theological principle. And we don't know how to suffer. We don't know how to... We rebuke storms when it may be the storm that shows who we are. In this world, we will have some tribulation. So if it's going good today and there's no storm in your life, just check out the Weather Channel. (laughs) There is another system coming in. And it's on the way. So if I can accept that, then I'm not always derailed by outcomes. And I don't move into the judge's bench and start holding God accountable for not doing life the way I think. See, the way I think. I've put myself on the throne and says, now God, you're the God of my life as long as you God my life in this way. He's God and I'm not. My heart... It's not proud, my eyes are not haughty. Lord, I'm not on, focused on outcomes. See, you can hope in something or you can hope in someone. If you hope in something, you may get it, but it's a matter of time. If you hope in someone, that someone being God, he will never change. He will never leave you. He will never fail you. You're not just a winner. You're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And you are immortal until your work on earth is done. I like that. That's where I can rise up and say, Satan, bring it on. Because obviously God's not finished with me or I would not be here. To you, put your hope in God now. Now. But pastor, the situation hadn't changed. That's right. But we're no longer focused on outcomes. He is my portion. He's your portion. Put your hope in God now and always.